We're going to read from Psalm 90. If you have a uh, Bible from the back of the church, you can find that on page 408. If you need a Bible at your seat, just raise your hand and Mark will bring you one. And if you need a Bible at home, by all means, take one home as a gift from Cornerstone. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. All right. It's a beautiful day outside to talk about death, right? Like, but death can happen at any time. A sunny day, cloudy day. Uh, the reason we're talking about this is because I, I just did the Achengay Fellows program last week, and we were talking about science, technology, and healthcare. So it's a program where it kind of intersects faith, culture, and uh, the scriptures. And uh, I'm going to preach on technology, I think in May, uh, but tonight I want to talk about healthcare and kind of the end-of-life care, uh, since that's really what we focused on uh, in our time together. Uh, so uh, before I do that, let me just say a prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can find comfort even as we think about something like death, that your, your word uh, isn't afraid to deal with really tough topics, uh, even though we can sometimes shy away from them. I pray that you would just open up your scripture to us, help us to think critically and uh, clearly about this topic. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like death is something that we all think about, even if we don't all talk about it. And so you don't have to raise your hand, but just by show of hands, if you thought about death at least once this week, so it could be your death, a friend's death, family member's death, maybe the death of a famous person, if you thought about the topic of death this week, do you raise your hand? Okay, there you go. See, we're thinking about it. You guys are all kind of a little morbid, I guess, right? Uh, no, it's something that we, that we think about that we're kind of faced with, right? Maybe it's ours, our, our, our own, or someone we love, or someone we care about. 
but this is an important topic, and so we need to be able to think critically about it from God's word, but also as we go out and interact kind of in our real lives uh, with this topic. So I hope to do that tonight, and we're going to be reflecting on Psalm 90, which is one of my favorite psalms, but I love uh, that it freely admits that we're all going to die one day. It just kind of starts that way in verses 3 through 6, and you can look down at your Bible, or I'm going to read it. Uh, it says this, You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. It reminds us of what Adam was created out of. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. So what do we find here? We find a contrast. We find a contrast between God, who lives forever, and humans and people who don't live very long, right? Our, our lives are compared to grass. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, like, the New England grass, it gets you, like, hopeful. Early in the season, it gets all green and lush, and then by midsummer, it's just brown Unless you have a sprinkler system. In my town, there's always a water band, so I don't know uh, how, how much good it does you. But uh, it was like, I think it was two summers ago, our lawn was just dead. And, and the, the scriptures are saying, well, this can happen in a day. In the morning, you wake up, the, the dew is out, there's been watered, it's, it's beautiful, it looks great. And then by one o'clock, your, gla- your grass is withered. And this is an illustration for our lives. It just doesn't seem like our lives are really here that long. We, too, quickly pass. And I think that rings true in our lives as we think about those people that we know that have passed. Or we think about things we hear in the news, car accidents, deaths from the flu, a freak accident. Like, we can all die at any time. It just seems like our bodies aren't Like that resilient. As one biochemist said, the human body has so many things that could go wrong that it's amazing that we are even alive. (laughs) Right? Like everything could go wrong. So what should we do about it? We haven't figured out the kind of the, the way to escape death. Everyone dies. And so we need to have a right perspective on death, the process of dying. And we're going to look at this psalm, Psalm 90, and I think there are four characteristics, uh, kind of four principles, but we're going to say characteristics of a good and faithful death. So hopefully after tonight, you will all walk out of here saying, all right, let's go, ready to die. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't want, well, maybe. Uh, I, I want you to walk away with a sense of, of having an idea of, Lord, how am I supposed to approach my death? But also thinking about family members and ones I love. And so the first uh, characteristic of a good and faithful death is trust. In the first two verses of our psalm, we find the psalmist Moses. So he, he wrote this psalm, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. We find him expressing a deep trust in the Lord. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Let's think about Moses for a moment. Moses is a man who saw a lot of death. He was 
in the wilderness and the, the people uh, disobeyed God. They rebelled against God and, and just about everyone died. <laughs> Entire generation except for uh, two people, Joshua and Caleb. Everyone died. So like the whole generation He saw a lot of death, and I think he reflected on it a little bit as well as he wrote the Pentateuch. So the first five books of the Bible, they they contain generations where Moses, he authored them, and he he writes about the the genealogies. So that's any time in the Bible when you encounter like uh, the son of, the son of, or this person begat this person, and this person begat that person. (laughs) It can be kind of challenging, but have you ever thought about it as a record of death? And yet, despite all of that, despite knowing all about that, Moses says, well, God is good. God is our dwelling place. God is our safe place. God is our home. Have you heard that expression, home is where the heart is? It's not true. (laughs) Home is where God is. Home is where Christ Jesus is. Why don't we want to die? Well, because we don't want to leave our home. We don't want to leave our family, our friends, our memories, our life. But if God is good and God is our true home, then to die isn't so bad. To die can be a really wonderful thing, that feeling of finally being home. On Thursday of the retreats, this is a week ago Thursday, we went down to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. So we do like a retreat. Uh, Well, the whole thing's a retreat, but we go down and we get to see a a real place that is dealing with these issues. And we met with the chaplain there, Dr. Walter McZinski. I don't know if I pronounced that right, Uh, but he was uh, talking about the end-of-life care for terminally ill patients. They're a cancer institute. They encounter a lot of patients that go through a lot of treatment, and many of them don't make it. Many of them die. Uh, and so he, as he was talking about it, he mentioned a study. The study was performed by Michael and Tracy Balboni. And what the Balbonis found is that patients who believed in God had so theological beliefs and they, they did things like prayers. So they had religious practices, right? So they were praying. They're believing in God. And what they found is that these types of patients pursued more radical treatment at the end of their life. Now, that maybe when you hear that, that sounds like a good thing. But actually, the radical treatments decreased the quality of life at the end. And it actually took away time with family members. In other words, something in their faith actually didn't help them die well. That seems kind of counterintuitive. Like we think as Christians, like it's going to, we'll be the best ones at dying because we believe in Jesus. But here are some of the things that that they experienced as they they surveyed this population. Those that had faith and, and prayed and did things like that and trusted in God, they were six times more likely to prolong, to try to Uh, to try life-prolonging measures at the end of life. They were less likely to have a living will, a healthcare proxy, or to do a non-resuscitate order. They were three times more likely to receive intensive life-prolonging care, like putting medical ventilation down their throat or resuscitation. And they were nearly two times more likely to die in the ICU. 
Those drastic end-of-life procedures are often the ones that are the most costly, not just in terms of money, but also in terms of uh, uh, relationships and like mental and emotional well-being. Likewise, other studies, you can look up that online, it says, other studies have shown that aggressive care at life's end is associated with poorer patient quality of death and higher rates of patients, family members experiencing pathologic bereavement after their death, including greater rates of major depression disorder, ongoing regrets, and feeling unprepared for the loss. (sighs) So you would think that people that are religious and believe in God, Christians, or other faith-based communities, would be the first to trust God and be like, let's go to heaven. (laughs) I think I heard Bernie once say, like, eat as many donuts as you want because you're going to get to heaven. It's going to be great. But in fact, we can be the most resistant of death. And actually, those with, like, a supportive religious community choose hospice care less and aggressive medical care more when they're near death. Now, in other words, hospice, hospice is a place where you go to die, essentially. And it's like, it's meant to make you more comfortable, uh, more like a home, uh, and uh, they're focusing on your medications. They're no longer focusing on healing you. They're focusing on making it as comfortable as possible when you pass. Something about having a, a community, a spiritual community actually makes it so that people don't go there as quickly as they should. The Balbonis gave five reasons why. The first is that we believe and expect God to perform a miracle. <laughs> One dying patient put it this way, Jesus said that if you have belief the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. I find myself asking, why not me? Why can't I be like the masses that were healed? We... God talks about miracles in the Bible. Why can't God give me a miracle? So I'm going I'm to keep trying these treatments. And my family and the church is saying, praying for a miracle too. Number two, we interpret giving into death as abandoning faith or hope in God. So these are the reasons that they came up with as they studied. And I, I think it's interesting that I mean, I think I've, I've thought thoughts like that. Like, when is it okay to say, all right, Lord, take me? When is it, uh, we don't want to commit suicide, right? Well, just tonight, I just want to assure you that there's nothing wrong with saying it's, it's my time. Like, if I'm dying from, a, from an illness, maybe there is a time just to say, God, I'm going to put my hope in you. And that's not a lack of faith. That's not a lack of hope. This one's an interesting one. Number three, through prayer and support, the community adds social pressure to the patient to keep fighting. I want to make clear, like, I'm not accusing any of us of doing these things. But this is something they found in this study. So this is something we need to be aware of so that we don't make the same sort of mistakes. But there was this kind of this idea of, like, well, my, my whole community, my whole spiritual community is praying for me. Therefore, I need to keep fighting, even if it results in longer suffering and a worse death. That's kind of sad. So we want to be sure that when we wrap around someone who is walking into death, that that we're doing it in a way that doesn't put pressure on them to keep fighting past a time when it's the Lord calling them home. 
Number four, we preach that God values life, especially on difficult topics like abortion or euthanasia, and those are wrong. And so this creates confusion about whether or not it's okay to die. Abortion, euthanasia are completely different than when God calls us home to to an illness or age or an accident. Number five, we separate the needs of our body from the needs of our soul. I have the doctor. The doctor helps me with my body. My pastor helps me with my soul. And that's called Gnosticism, (laughs) right? We don't want to separate our soul from our body. God, God cares about the whole person. And so when we think about these end-of-life decisions, we should remember this is also a spiritual matter. This isn't just a physical matter. That the two are linked. I liked the passage that we read tonight from the Gospel of John. I had it for my sermon, but there's a story in the New Testament of a man dying. His name's Lazarus. And uh, Jesus comes to the funeral, and he talks to Lazarus's sister, Martha, who's uh, completely torn apart. And he asks her a really important question that I think we need to ask ourselves. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they never even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Do we believe that if we trust in him, we will experience something greater beyond death? That we won't experience spiritual death? So if we as a church community believe in the resurrection, that one day we will again rise from the grave, then a miraculous healing is not our highest priority. It can be a good priority. I'm not saying don't pray for that. But it's not our highest priority. Going to be with Jesus is our highest priority. Trusting him. Knowing that one day we will live again through Christ Jesus. As part of this program, we were assigned a book to read. We read this book together called Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End by Atul Gawande. I highly recommend reading it. It's uh, by a a doctor who works in Boston. He's a surgeon. And uh, he talks about the process of aging and dying. Uh, And we were all supposed to bring a quote. And I brought this quote uh, that kind of goes in this theme of those that accept hospice care or palliative care. I learned that word through this. Palliative care is uh, you're going to die and it's this making you comfortable. kind of goes with hospice. Uh, and I read this quote about this. I, I'm not going to put it on the screen, so you just have to listen to me. He says, in one medical study, researchers followed 4,493 Medicare patients with either terminal cancer or end-stage congestive heart failure. For the patients with breast cancer, prostate cancer, or colon cancer, the researchers found no difference in survival time between those who went into hospice and those who didn't. And curiously, 
For some conditions, hospice care seemed to extend survival. Those with pancreatic cancer gained an average of three weeks. Those with lung cancer gained six weeks. And those with congestive heart failure gained three months. The lesson seems almost zen. You live longer only when you stop trying to live longer. I think that's a fascinating quote. What it's saying is that in some cases, not in all cases, when you stop trying to find it, stop trying to find the, the cure, you say, all right, I'm going to go to hospice, you actually end up getting more time with family, more time with loved ones. And this man is not a Christian. He does not know the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we do. And that should change us and how we think about death. We haven't experienced kind of many deaths within our community. I know that we as individuals have experienced those with people we know have died. But I want us to be a church that when we experience those things, whether by accident or, or some other way, illness, when we experience death, it, that we approach it the right way, that we approach it just fully trusting God, fully admitting that God is our dwelling place. God is our home. It's safe for this person to go and be with God. So let's encourage each other in that. The first characteristic of a good and faithful death is trust. Trust in God. What's the second The second characteristic is reconciliation. The psalm calls us to be reconciled to God and to each other. Verses 7 through 9. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Now, Moses is a man who met and talked with God face to face. Goes up on the mountain, he's experiencing the Lord. And he walks away from God. He's completely transformed. Like Moses' face would, would glow because he was in God's presence. And he, he lived to 120 years old. Uh, and it was like he was a young man all the way until the end, until God took him. But when he was in God's presence, he was still convicted of his sin. He was still blown away by God's holiness and how good and pure and, 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 and righteous God is and how defiled and evil and wicked his own heart was. And so I think this passage is a call. It's a call to, to lay out your sins before God our secret sins, they're revealed in the light of your presence to receive forgiveness for them. Not just to deal with our sins between us and God, but also to think about those around us. Who do we have broken relationships with? I want to be reconciled with God, but I also want to be reconciled with others. During the question and answer time with the chaplain, One of our cohort leaders, Dr. Kenneth Barnes, he asked the question, what is the most common regret you hear from people? So he sees a lot of people that are dying. What is the most common regret? And the chaplain who had served for 25 years, he said this, 
I wish I would have reconciled with others sooner. He hears from people who are going through this process of dying. They get reconciled with others. They call up friends and family members and uh, people that, uh, their their ex-husbands and ex-wives. And they get reconciled and they say, wow, I wish I had done this like a year earlier. Wouldn't that have been great? And so this isn't almost a call to die well, like to wait. Like don't, this is not a, okay, just wait until you're dying. This is a, this is part of living well and being prepared to die at any moment is to be reconciled. Get reconciled first with God and then with others. One of people's biggest concerns when dying is their relationship with God. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, other religions too, people that don't really have religion, they want to know that they're right with God. As Christians, we have the truth. We have the actual way to get right with God. The other ones are not right. What does the scripture call us to do? It calls us to be reconciled to God, to, get, to be right with God, to deal with our iniquity, to deal with our sin, and there's only one way to do it. It's through Christ Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, it says this, salvation is found in no one else. It's talking about Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The name of my sermon is a good and faithful death It's actually impossible to have a good and faithful death in terms of meeting God's standards. There was only one person to have a good and faithful death, and that was Christ Jesus. He committed no sin, no iniquity, no brokenness as he went to the cross. He gave up his life willingly trusting his heavenly father, completely sacrificially loving those who were his enemies, you and me, so that he could rescue us from our sins. That's what a a true good and faithful death is. And as his followers, as disciples, we get to follow in that path, but it's only because he walked it first. And if you're not a follower of Christ Jesus, I want to encourage you tonight, please, trust in Christ. Place your hope in the one who has had a good and faithful death. Put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ because he can reconcile you to God. He can pay the penalty for your sins so that you no longer have a broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. But the gospel, the good news about Jesus, isn't meant to just be a me and God kind of thing. It's also a God and us kind of thing. That we get reconciled to those around us, our broken relationships. So this is an encouragement. Don't wait till the end. Be reconciled today. So the first and second characteristics of a good and faithful death are trust, reconciliation. The third is preparation. Verses 10 through 12 say this. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. My old pastor called... uh, like anything past 70, the bonus round. <laughs> you make it to 70, great. If you make it to 80, wow. 
I don't know how you feel about that. You're, if you're closer to that than me, so I'm just going to put that on him. Uh, but God does call us to number our days, to realize that we have a, a finite, not an infinite, but a finite number of days to walk this earth. Moses lived 120. He got a lot of days, but he still had to die. And so as we think about our days, as we number our days, teach us to number our days, we begin to say, okay, I need to get prepared for what, whenever the Lord calls me home. I need to be prepared for that day where the grass withers in my life or even the life of someone I care about. Now, I don't think this means like, okay, that means every day we need to do as much as we can for God. I don't think the Lord was interested in making little production machines to get out of, uh, as much out of us as he could. I think the next couple verses, the end of this psalm, actually say that's really hopeless. But it does talk about the fear of the Lord in verse 11. It says, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. It's talking about the fear of the Lord. This is a theme all throughout the Bible. The fear of the Lord, and it's really talking about giving God the reverence, the respect that he is due, and it's often connected with like obeying God's commandments, trusting in God's word, taking God seriously for the things that he says. And so we as Christians, we want to obey God's commandments. We want to give God the fear that is due his name. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God, love others. And so how do we prepare for death? Simply put, we focus on loving God and loving others every day. Just day by day, I'm going to focus on loving God and loving others every day. That's how I prepare for death. It's not a, it's not a huge secret. <laughs> I think there are some very practical ways that we can think about loving God and loving others as we think about death. And we talked about some of these in the the Akengay program, and so I wanted to share some of these ideas with you, how you can be thinking about loving others and loving God in your death. One of our cohort leaders, Dr. Jason McConnell, he said it makes a world, he doesn't, he's done a lot more funerals than I've done, and he, and he says, it makes a world of difference when a loved one has died, but they've said what they want at the funeral beforehand, because it just kind of takes the pressure off family members. And so, I have printed out forms, uh, Angela printed out some forms, and we put it in the bulletin for you to look at and potentially fill out even tonight. You didn't know when you came here that you would be planning your funeral. <laughs> How exciting for each of us. That's what I want us to think about on hand, and uh, you don't have to fill it out tonight. Uh, you can take it home and pray about it and think about it, uh, but bring it back or send me an email uh, so that we can print these out and have them on file at Cornerstone. So if the Lord takes you home, we'll have some idea of what we should do. I wanted to go through the, the questions. The first question is, how do you want to be buried? <laughs> you should think about that. Coffin, cremation, green burial. Where do you want to be buried? Maybe you have a specific location in mind. Have you paid for that? What's the goal of your Funeral. That's an interesting question. I didn't know I should have a goal for my funeral. <laughs> well, I think we all should. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, I think the goal for our funeral should be to glorify God, to make it about him and not about us. 
to share the gospel, to share that resurrection message, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, I trusted in Jesus, you should too. See you in eternity. What Bible passages would you like read or preached on? This is an opportunity for uh, you to encourage others with verses that have encouraged you. Number five, what hymns or songs would you like sung or played? Maybe there's some really special songs that have ministered to you in your life and you'd like them played or you know would minister to your family. And no, we will not be playing I Did It My Way. Who do you want to do your funeral? I will not be offended if you don't want me to do your funeral or if you have someone else you prefer Bernie would do a great job. The elders would do a great job. Other people could do a great job. Maybe you have a family member who's a minister. I would write down a couple options because you don't know when this is going to take place. (laughs) I guess that's funny. Uh, And then finally, are there any other specifics? I probably have too many questions, but seven's like a biblical number. So, plan your funeral this week. If I thought of something else, please throw it in there. If, you, if I didn't think of something, throw it in there. Think about it. This is a good exercise. This is an act of preparation. I think it's a way that you can love your family members, your friends, your church community, even the people that don't know Jesus in your life. You can love them by making sure that the gospel goes out. I'm just going to leave that up there for a little while. But the other way that our cohort leader suggested loving others in your death, which I'm going to pass along. I don't know if I completely agree with it. It seems like a great idea if, you, if you're able to do it. Uh, purchase life insurance. Purchase life insurance. I know that not everyone can do that, uh, but if it's an option, really think about that. He told the story of a 27-year-old man. I believe it was someone at his church. He was a father, married. Uh, And one day as he was driving home, he got hit by a drunk driver and died, 27 years old. And he had $2 million of life insurance. (laughs) And he talked with, I believe it was the wife, and she said, you know, it won't bring their father back, but it will sure make things easier. So that's something to think about, to ponder. It can be a way to love those that you leave behind if the Lord takes you home suddenly. The characteristics of a good and faithful death are trust, reconciliation, preparation, and finally, joy. Joy. I think Andy even mentioned joy as he was introducing one of the songs. There's there's joy in dying for Christians. Psalm 90, verses 13 through 17. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I kind of, I always thought like the psalm ended in a sad way, but as I look at it, I think there's also this implication of of just joy, that Moses finds joy and happiness and gladness 
as he thinks about death and the brevity of life because of his relationship with God. He has such a life-giving relationship with God that as he thinks about it, he's not completely overwhelmed. He admits, I think, these human tendencies that we, that we have to kind of be concerned about dying because, well, you know, if the Lord were to take us home on the, the drive home, well, that would leave a lot of things undone, right? We hear that, you know, I'm going to spend all these years doing this work and what's going to happen with it? And Moses is, here is saying that God accomplishes the work that he wants done. So the work that we begin, we can trust that God's going to figure it out. God's going to bring it to completion, whatever that should look like. That's a reason to celebrate. So we don't have to be afraid of death or those that we might leave behind or to have this like weighty sense of responsibility that, that is kind of based in, in fear and guilt because God is going to finish the ministry or the work we started. I think this is especially encouraging for parents who think about their children. I don't want to leave my children if the Lord takes me home. Or a spouse, a husband or a wife. I don't want to leave my spouse. I don't want my spouse to leave me. But this verse tells us that God loves us and cares for us and is going to take care of us. That he will finish the work. He will finish the hopes and dreams and the the things that should be done. This is comforting. God, you're going to establish the work of our hands. You're going to establish the work that you want done. I don't need to be fearful about leaving because you're going to take care of it. There are preparations I can make, but at the end of the day, even if I make none of those, you're going to take care of it so I can be joyful. I can rejoice. And that ties back into number one, trust. So we got to be joyful and happy because we're going to go meet our Savior. Philippians 1.21 says, for, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's good either way. Christ keeps us here, amen. I get to spend more time with those I love and with Christ spiritually. And if he takes me home, amen. That's even better. So this is my big idea. As Christians, we can die differently because of the hope we have in Christ. The four characteristics are trust, reconciliation, preparation, and joy. Now, I wanted to share one final story. This was shared by Pastor David Coons of Jericho, Vermont. I've never been to Jericho, Vermont but he's a, he's a pastor up there. And he shared this story in our, as we were kind of debriefing our time together uh, of a woman who died at his church. Uh, and he witnessed her passing. He said well, it was just a different experience. It was a completely different experience. Uh, she wasn't at the hospital. She was at home. And she was actually uh, in the middle of the living room on a bed surrounded by 15 to 20 friends and family. And they were singing, and they were praying, they were saying goodbye. And after a while, she drifted off. She died. And instead of saying, all right, everyone, time to go home, uh, and they didn't call the ambulance immediately, uh, they decided, let's have dinner, and let's celebrate that our, our loved one has gone to be with Jesus. And that number actually grew over the course of the evening, closer to 30 people 
showed up and they celebrated and they had dinner together and it gave uh, them time to go in and say goodbye to her and to have a moment and to celebrate her life but also her death, her passing into Christ's arms. I'd like a funeral like that. I'd like a, a passing like that. As Christians, we can die differently because the hope we have in Christ, and it makes a real difference. Four characteristics are trust, reconciliation, preparation, and joy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Christ has defeated death. Death isn't natural. It's a result of sin. It's a result of the fall. Thank you that through Christ Jesus, it's defeated. One day he's going to put an end to death. Thank you that for now, until you take us home, we can live and act differently and die differently because of the hope we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for the offering that we're about to take. Would you bless it? Would you use it? The songs we're about to sing, Lord, would we truly set our hearts and minds on you and just worship you and be grateful for the life that we do have right now. And that in Christ Jesus, we don't have just normal everyday life. We have eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.